Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. All right, so uh, Lars, Tiffany, head coach at the University of Virginia, former teammate of mine at Brown University. We were captains together back in the day. So awesome to have you on my podcast, which is called the Philosophy Podcast. <laughs> Philosophy. Philosophy. It's the philosophy of lacrosse. I thought it was a, a perfect you know, yeah. name for what we love talking about, which is talking about lacrosse and in particular talking about philosophy oftentimes. But uh, welcome to the podcast, Lars. Uh, awesome to have you on here. It's great to be on here. I wonder if we can make that term mainstream. Uh, you know, Webster's continues to add words to their dictionary every year. I wonder if we can. Uh... That is a great call. I, mean, I think, you know, JM3 Sports is going to have to get a little bit bigger before that happens. <laughs> uh, we'll just keep on with our philosophy yeah. concepts and podcasts. But, um, hey, one of the things that I wanted to do with you is just, uh, if you could, just give us a quick rundown on your path to getting where you got to. Um, you know, obviously, I know the path. And we spent, we started on part of this lacrosse path together uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s. But uh, talk to us about your path as a player and a coach, just to give these listeners uh, an idea of how you got to where you got. Sure. Uh, I'll do the quick version. Um, started playing lacrosse in sixth grade in Lafayette, New York. Uh, felt really fortunate to grow up in the town I did because Lafayette is adjacent to the Onondaga Native American Reservation. And the Onondagas are one of the six tribes of the Iroquois. So uh, immediately I was immersed into uh, one of the original lacrosse programs. If, if there is an original youth program, it's the Native American Reservation, right? Uh, as a three-year-old boy and now girls, you're given a stick. And so I, even though we didn't start till sixth grade as the white players, you could go down on the box sooner than that, you know, do a little pick up and play. But we, there was nothing too organized and serious back then like there is now. Um, so play for six years in the Lafayette school system. and. Uh, join you and uh, a lot of great guys at Brown University. Get to play some great lacrosse there under Dom Starja. Um, what was the advantageous of playing for Dom is we played a lot. You know, we weren't uh, overanalyzed. There wasn't a lot of paralysis by analysis. We just got to play. And, um, and so practice was up-tempo. There was a lot going on. And, and um, I think we all had a joy. We loved the game. Uh, there wasn't a burnout factor, whereas if you do too much of the – statistical stuff you too too critical of your players Dom let us play and so we loved it and and because of that it felt like wow Dom made that impact on me I want to make that impact on other people uh he's such a leader and uh someone who made me excited about coming to play lacrosse and 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 try to do things the right way off the field too so um spent four years teaching and coaching out in California at the high school level and um and then sort of I was working on my veterinary. I was trying to go to vet school. I want to go to Cornell Vet School. It was almost a post-back year, uh, taking some microbiology, physics, and uh, uh, organic chemistry, and uh, fell into women's college lacrosse coaching at Lemoyne College because uh, a girlfriend at the time wanted to be involved with the program. And uh, we had a lot of fun. Uh, we had a tremendous amount of fun together. And then the men's job opened up the next year. Shane Lynch took the head job. I joined him as an assistant. And that's 1995. And here I am uh, still coaching college across 
um, and uh, learn from some great guys along the way, uh, Rick Soul, Jim Stagnita, and um, and then uh, and have had some great coaches. So fortunately, I uh, got to go back to our, our alma mater, coached there for ten years, live in Providence, Rhode Island, which is fantastic. What a great city! Um, and now uh, here in Charleston, Virginia. So you went Lemoyne to WNL with Jim Stagnita. Yes. Right? And then he's, uh, he did a couple nice presentations for me with my coach's training program. Great oh, guy, still uh, coaching at a high level. And we get, then you went up to Dartmouth with Ricky Soul. Exactly. I learned so much from Jim Stagnita. Uh, I, you know, again, we, haven't, we played for Dom. We, uh, we pushed the tempo. We had a lot of fun. We competed. Um, but from Jim is where I started understanding, wow, the strategy is 66, you know, big, little invert defenses, just, just, just more complicated. Schemes. A lot of the X's and the O's. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so when I left Washington Elite after being, uh, two years in Lexington, Virginia, I had a, you know, probably two or 300 page bound three ring binder bound of notes that, uh, and all the different schemes and different categories of rides and clears and man, man downs, et cetera. I was just learning so much. And so that was in a sense, my, my master's degree in coaching. Um, and, uh, I learned tremendous amount from Jim and, uh, and then from there I was able to, uh, practice it at the division one level, joining Rick Soul up at Dartmouth. And then from Dartmouth, it was Penn state as an assistant coach. Yes. Right? I did four years with Glenn Field there at Penn state. And, um, and give credit to Glenn. I mean, I, he, he let me act like a head coach Monday through Friday and uh, do a lot of experimenting. Some things I cringe at nowadays. It's some things. Yeah. Um, yeah, some great defenses back then, though, I remember. I know, but some of the crazier things, maybe because you suggested them. And, uh, <laughs> and so I would get out there and, you know, try some things. And some things didn't go so well, but Glenn was willing to give me a chance. And uh, I think having, you know, the courage to, uh, to, to, to try things when you think they're going to work is really important. I think there's so many coaches that are just afraid. And uh, I never was. I mean, if I believed in something, you know, I'm, I was just going to do it. And I think you kind of have that sort of mindset, too. And I think it's, it makes it so much more fun and fresh, I think. It does. I mean, I remember getting ready to play you guys, your half court trap you guys had, you know, you step over the midline and there's two Denver dudes ready to chop you and the goalies just jumped out. So it wasn't really a 10 man until you stepped over the midline, yeah. you know, and uh, uh, yeah, you, you did some things that were really, really different, but challenging to overcome. And boy, if you preparing for you for a week, wasn't enough. You wanted two weeks. <laughs> well, it's funny too. I mean, like, you know, you know, um, yeah, the, 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 in those years, I remember the reason why we went to full pressure was because I remember in 2005, we had a good team and we got our butts kicked by, by North Carolina. And we had this, the most, we had the best game plan. And it was just like, we were going to shut off sometime, do all these things and play traditional defense. And, you know, we were like, you know what? That's it. We got good athletes. We're going to pressure. And, and if we're going to go down, we're going to go down swinging. And we kind of took the level of pressure to another level. But yeah. This is, what, this is what happened, though. And this is the, something that I, I do think, and tell me your opinion on this. Denver, between 2005 and 2008, went from being a top 25 team to a top 12 team. Oh, yeah. And it was in part because we were getting better players and stuff. But it was also because we played a way that people couldn't deal with it. And, and I'm not sure that that was the, necessarily the recipe to win a national championship. But what did Duke do to get back into the national semifinal game? Right. They pressured. And, and, and there's an element of pressure that, um, you know, absolutely people are afraid to do it because they're afraid of giving up goals. But at the, at the end of the day, 
Um, you do this, you know, in, in your run to the final four with Brown, you guys started jumping picks all the time. I mean, that's all we really did was yeah. put pressure on adjacents and jump picks at the end of the day, look for double teams. Um, and so I don't know what, what's your take on, on, on pressuring? Cause to me, I think it's like, it's, it's kind of, people are afraid to do it, but I think it, it's pretty darn effective. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there's a conservative mindset that dominates, you know, don't shoot on an open net. Don't score a goal because, Oh my God, you may never win the next three faceoffs and you could lose the game. Like uh, what are the odds of that's happening? Come on. There's an open net score the goal. You're going to bring two of us defenders to the ball by bringing a pick to the ball. Let's take advantage of it. Let's jump it. Um, 10 man ride. Sure. Let's jump it. Essentially like the football analogy of safety blitz. Well, a football defensive coordinator, he risks giving up six points and probably seven on the extra point if he gets burned on a safety blitz. We give up one goal, you know, we're probably going to give up 10 to 13 goals anyways. I mean, the risk reward there, what's the consequence is not that tremendous in a sport where there's a lot of goals being. So I'm with you. Just you want to have that mindset. And boy, it's fun as a defender to, to go out there, you know, being given the green light. And so what you guys did a really tremendous job was to take advantage of your athleticism. Plus let's not forget the altitude advantage you had, you know, you guys had <laughs> your lung capacity seemed to be double the rest of us. And so uh, don't let us breathe while you're chasing us, especially when we're playing at your place. Um, so it's um, yeah, I thought, I thought what you did is really take advantage of something, but you were changing mindset. I'm seeing more teams start the 10 man ride. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing high school coaches do it. I'm seeing like it's start. It's not mainstream yet, but it's, it's starting to become acceptable, but you were doing things before it was acceptable. Well, and so you went from uh, Penn State to then being the head coach at Stony Brook? Yes. Got my first opportunity was uh, on Long Island for two years uh, out in Suffolk County. It was a fantastic opportunity to be a I mean, what a tremendous stadium. I mean, really yeah. cool place. Yeah, that was cool. Stadium. Stony Brook to Brown. Stony Brook to Brown, 10 years uh, back, back in Providence. Been for 10 years. 10 years, yeah. yeah. 10 years. What a, what a great town. I mean, it's always been a fun town. But, you know, since you and I graduated, the, uh, the, the reformation, the renaissance, really, of Providence, Rhode Island, as they un uncovered the river and, uh, you know, just, just a beautiful downtown. So I loved, I love living there. I love living on the water. Yeah, that's cool. All right. So my next question for you, who, who would you say have been the biggest influences on you as a coach? Well, certainly Jim Sagnita, because he was, it was the aha, like, oh, my gosh, I thought we'd just get into two triangles and play, you know, and if you get beat. Uh, well, the nearest guy slide or help out or do something, you know, and and so all of a sudden there was this Wow, you could really have a, a plan, you know, a, a methodology here of slide schemes a methodology of, of Offenses that take advantage of certain slide schemes and I mean it really was uh, uh, Training that uh, we just don't really have I mean what's really cool about what you're doing is you you're sort of giving some people an opportunity, you know um, through your tutorials through your videos to, to train themselves. But there really isn't that opportunity to get a master's degree in coaching. It's uh, certainly specific to our sport. I got that from Jim Stagnita. Um, so it was fantastic two years. Um, and uh, so he, he's, he's definitely the biggest influence. Certainly Dom Stars is the biggest influence of being a man, how to be a leader, how to treat other people. Um, what an incredible role model. So I would put those two at the top. Awesome. Um, what about how do you – you know, like, you know, you and I can talk lacrosse 24 seven. Um, when I was, when I was a college coach, I, I, I would spend a lot of my time in conversations with you or anybody. I still do because I'm just like on this never ending quest right. to learn something. 
or I'm, you know, whatever, but how do you go about, you know, uh, sharpening your saw, becoming a better coach and learning more and, and, you know, what do you do? What are some of the things that you do to, to, to get better? Right. Well, one thing we've done down here is we've really attacked the team development piece that more than I've ever done before. And, and so that's been the new challenge. I guess four or five years ago, the new challenge was let's play a whole lot faster than we uh, ever had in the past as coaches. And so that was to reinvent ourselves. You know, when Sean Kerwin came on staff and brought the Tufts fast-paced system, you know, something that uh, Kip Turner had been talking about. We got to play faster. We got to play faster. I was like, that sounds great, but how do we do that? You know, what what are all the nuances and the tendencies that we're gonna that's gonna surprise us when we start doing this? Well, there's Sean Kerwin shows up. Here's a guy they've been doing it for years at Tufts. They know some of the things that are gonna be. Uh, the, the, the fallacies that are going to come through, some of the pitfalls. And so he, he's able there to have already gone through it and give us a better blueprint. Um, and then recently when we came to Virginia, it was like, we really spend more time off the field than I've ever done anywhere else. Tuesdays became cultural Tuesdays. Like literally on Tuesdays during the spring, 45 minutes of film, defense with myself, offense with Coach Kerwin. The next 45 minutes free time. You want to go see the trainer? You want to go out and shoot? You want a wall ball? You want to go through some more schemes? 45 minutes free time. And then the last 45 minutes on Tuesdays, we were all together in the life skills room going through some readings. Uh, the book we did was The Battle of Thermopylae uh, by Stephen Pressfield. It's about the movie 300. It's the, the, the Battle of 300 um, of Sparta. And then, and then we had another book that we got involved as well there, uh, Legacy by uh, James Kerr about the All Blacks. Um, New Zealand's national rugby team and we would provide readings to the men before the day before and uh, then they were tasked in the room to discuss those readings when we did small groups so the small group would discuss it for 10 minutes I'll say and then report back to the whole to, to the group the larger group we did skits you know we did some things that you might go like what are you doing <laughs> shouldn't you be working on your man up <laughs> shouldn't you be working on your roll touch but we really felt like we needed to bond like this team, our first year, there was, there was something sour in the soup. It just didn't feel right. And, um, and, and so I went to the convention. I'm listening to Joe Amplo. Um, I'm, I'm listening to some people who uh, really spent a lot of time. Joe Amplo, the head coach at Marquette, for the listeners that don't. Oh, know. yeah. I mean, here's, I'm like, how did he do it? How did you yeah. do it in the middle of Wisconsin? Build a team that's going to the NCAA tournament, that's, that's winning your conference. That includes um, Denver in the championship. Denver, right. I mean. They're doing it consistently. This isn't a one-off. And uh, what's this magic recipe? You don't even have a locker room. And so um, they're just listening to him talk for an hour about all these things that they do. And it really was finally, it just, it just hit me over the head. Okay, I, I, we got, all right, Lars, you got to stop ignoring it. And, um, and, and plus, we, there was a need here. And so we've spent a lot of time on it, and it's really been exciting for me to do something different. And now it's like, okay, what's the next book? So this summer we've given a, uh, the men, uh, The Boys in a Boat, fantastic book by uh, Daniel Brown um, about uh, the 1936 uh, Olympics and the, the crew team and the pre-Europe Nazi development, uh, the precursor to World War II. It's a fantastic read. So that's, that's the, the summer reading for our men. We'll probably lean on Legacy by James Kerr as well. It's a great formula for developing, you know, it's a, for diving into the characteristics that happen to all of us, whether it's the business world or the athletic world, you know, dealing with pressure, uh, character, all these things. So the, the aha moment for me though, Jamie, when we were doing this, cause I was like, what's the, what's the buy-in going to be was the first time we had a small group report 
you know, it's like, okay, hey, I need somebody to stand up and do this. As I was going, and they finished, as I was going to the second group, one of the individuals in that group was already standing up to present. I didn't have to beg somebody. And then as I was going to the third group, somebody was standing up. Like, they wanted their opinions to be heard. They, they were willing to be vulnerable and share their thoughts. And, and again, this is a group that was more self-centered than others focused when we first got here. And uh, so that was a big transformation. So that's to really answer your question. Those are some of the things that we're doing to, to challenge ourselves. On the field stuff, the X's and O's, it's, uh, you know, just studying as much film as we can. I love that. You know, I love watching film. Like, oh, wh why are they doing that? What, why are they rotating counterclockwise with their invert defense there? Why? What? And uh, so it's just, they did that on purpose? Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. No, that couldn't be on purpose. Wait a minute. They did it the, the, the next three times too. <laughs> Wait, what, they're going over their head at the goal line and sliding? Oh, yeah. There's an old Jamie Monroe tactic. <laughs> Lars, where's he going to put a stick? Where's he going to put a stick? He's got to tuck it. He's got to bring it right in front. <laughs> but, yeah, just, just watching a bunch of game film. And, uh, you know, it's fun, too, to get in together with staffs. You know, I had a staff our, our first year here. Uh, we had Lynchburg come up with Steve Cadelka and his staff. And uh, J.D. Clark with Limestone. You know, two very successful programs in Division II. The old staff get together and share all your uh, information. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and it's and it's really cool too to get some really strong staffs like those two, and not have to worry about like oh we might play you guys uh, you know later in the playoffs or something you know and because uh, sometimes you do get a little guarded depending on who mm -hmm. you know, the staff well or you may play them so it's fun to do that uh, I love that's that why you don't have to worry about me anymore you can tell me everything well no you tell the whole world everything I tell you. <laughs> <I'm gonna> <laughs> Well, I am going to be giving you um, uh, access to my uh, coach's training program. I'm fired up for you to check it out and see if uh, there's any uh, good info in there. But I, you'll, you'll find a few nuggets. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I saw some of our opponents in there. But, uh, <laughs> some of your opponents, uh, Metsy giving his own offense talk. Yeah, but it, it's, it's so important to be always listening. Because even if you're not going to change yourself, you want to know what you're going to have to deal with, how you're going to have to counter you know, the opposing offense that you're going to be. Uh, that's coming at you so, so true. yeah it's well, it's so many times too like you know it's it you learn stuff if the quote i love the most is the john wooden quote which is like it's what you learn after you know it all that really counts <laughs> and that's so true because it's you know you think about your progression i always think about this like you know when i was at yale my first few years i was like i was getting my master's under mike Walvogel for a sure. year right and I felt like by, you know, by the time I was there for five, six, seven, eight years, like I really knew lacrosse and I became a head coach. And I was like, I don't, I've never really had to think about rides and clears, you know, on my own. And then, you know, and then five years, and, and, but then I thought I knew what I was doing. And then five years later, I looked back, I was like, what was I doing? You, you did that to yourself when you're thinking about the Penn State days. Every time you look back at yourself five years later, you're just like, I really had no idea what the hell I was in. What was I doing? And right. then, and then, but at the, at the time you're like, man, you know, I put my time in, I'm, I, I, I feel really good about what I'm doing. And then five years later, you look back, you're like, I had no idea. So it really <laughs> comes down to this, like really the ongoing quest of learning and the fact that the things that I learned that are seem brand new, I already knew. I just didn't look at them the right way. There's mm -hmm. like nothing that I hadn't really kind of thought of usually. I just didn't like realize the significance of it, which is why, hearing another talk on transition or hearing another presentation on big little there's just that one little nugget that changes your whole view of stuff so yeah i mean a great example is what that drill you gave us uh, about a year ago now you had that 4v3 each end the cool quitlam drill 
Yeah, that you're doing in the indoor arena. Well, we need to get that in the coach's training. Yeah, and then you, you gave it to me. He's like, Lawrence, you got to try this. You got to try this. So I, we experimented this fall. This was past fall almost a year ago. And instantly I was like, this is the best riding and clearing drill we've ever, ever had. Because we did 5v4 at each end. But again, you kind of goalie, so it's 10 on 10. And, you know, immediately started realizing, like, this is incredible practice for 10-man riding and clearing against a 10-man. And it was just, you know, talking to you and experimenting. So it was a classic, like, you gave it to us as a transition drill. And immediately, it is transition, but it's incredible for us to get, instead of four reps in eight minutes when we're doing riding and clearing that day, you know, we're getting, like, 18 reps in those eight minutes, you know, and it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. That's cool. called the Monroe drill, by the way. <laughs> I, like I, I think I saw my name on a drill, um, on a, a practice plan at Hopkins as well. No so way. Yeah. It was a two on two on your sides drill. I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, I didn't ever, I don't even remember talking to Petro about that. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about defense. I, I'm just curious, you know, just big picture, Talk about your, you know, uh, defensive philosophies um, kind of uh, along the way to, you know, through your years at, uh, you know, Penn State, you know, from WNL into Penn State, into Dartmouth to Penn State to Stony Brook to Brown to now. It seems like there are certain things that are absolutely consistent and there are certain things that may have changed a little bit. And I think people will be interested. Coaches definitely be interested in hearing a little bit about that. Yeah, it's, it's, there's, there's, you know, Steele, something I saw Bill Tierney speak about, um, boy, when I first got into business in the mid-90s, he was uh, doing a convention talk. And I can remember he, he put up some sort of circular graphic. And it showed, like, defensive philosophy of, of not sliding. And then defensive philosophies of zone defense. And then it was the man-to-man -man sliding aggressively early. And, and I remember he showed this he put it in a circular pattern and just saying, Hey, this is over time. Things will come full circle. Things will change. And you know, I'm brand new to the business. I'm thinking, wait a minute. I played in the eighties where there wasn't a lot of side schemes. We weren't sliding much at Brown, but no one else was either, you know, win your matchup own your man, you know, offensively or defensive mindset. And that's going to be, that's going to be the most important thing. And now Bill Tierney obviously came along and revolutionized team defense with early slides. And so I'm, but so I'm interested when I'm looking and make this speech and let's say it's 1996, I'm guessing they're talking about coming for a circle. Cause I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. No, we're, we've moved past the, I'm going to win my man Island defense. Um, we, we've gone into the phase of team friendly help slide defense. This is why would we ever not be there? But you know, this is why Bill Tierney is, is the best coach who's ever been on a lacrosse field. He, he understood that things will change because offenses will catch up. Offenses will adjust and there'll be a migration there. And so I, you know, give him a ton of credit for opening my eyes early in my coaching careers, recognizing that I will have to change. And so you're right. Some things have stayed fundamental, but as we've evolved, sometimes we have gone to, Hey, can we slide a little slower against this team? You know, and there are certain opponents that move the ball so well, they're just waiting for you to slide. And recognizing probably in the mid 2000s it's like wow the more you slide the more you get beat <laughs> the offenses are really starting to take to the next level and can can we start finding defensemen that we don't need to slide for especially short stick defensemen can we slow those slides down or when we do slide 
Can it not be when it's predictable? Can it be a little later? Can it be from the backside? Larkin Kemp at Brown University, unbelievable anticipating uh, when someone's going to roll back or just anticipating when he's got a chance to make a double team happen. So sliding unconventionally. And, um, and so, um, so, yeah, so that has certainly occurred over the years. Now Virginia, do we have the personnel where we can slow our slides down? What was interesting when we got here, they were used to not sliding. But we didn't feel like we had the right footwork and the athleticism to be a hold-your-slide winner matchup type defense. So, so we've had to incorporate earlier or slides. And there's some growing pains. You see, in 2017, we gave up a lot of goals. 2018, we still gave up more goals, two less per game, but we still gave up a lot of goals. We're trying to find the right personnel because ideally, I would like to get back to that. Can we can we be a little bit more hesitant? Can we win our matchups? But it is this whole transition of you've seen it in my plus twenty plus years uh, of uh, recognizing as offensive change, we have to change. It's awesome. My uh, I kind of experimented with a lot of it because when I when I went to Denver, um, I wanted to be I wanted to coach the defense. I'd always sort of been an offensive guy, but I wanted to take control of the defense. I hired an offensive assistant, Peter Hillgartner, and really dove into. I bought the Bill Tierney videos and I learned how to do all the buildups with, you know, you know, one-on-one plus a slider and one-on-one plus a slider and a second slider and all of that wide drill and, you know, all of these drills that we're teaching early slides and all yeah. that stuff. And I learned zone and all these things. And then I came, went through the same things that you kind of went through, which is like, man, I just would really rather not have to slide that fast. Right. Yeah. Help it, you know? Um, but I, I think one of the, one of the guys out there that has had a big influence on me is uh, Jerry Byrne and the way that they teach defense, because I think so much of it comes down to teaching everybody how to read whether they have to slide, as opposed to just a coach dictating a, hey, we don't have to slide to, you know, we're not going to slide to Jimmy or we have to slide to 18 because he's so good and, and, and trying to figure out how to get everybody on the same page of actually reading, you know, the cues, you know, can you see the backs of his numbers? Can you see the fronts of his numbers? Can you see the shoulder? Can you, is his V-hole, you know, getting pushed forward and through? Is it a shorty? Is it a lefty? Is it a rollback guy? And, you know, and starting to, like, look at it from the opportunities of, you know, can we attack this, which is what you're talking about with the Lark Kemp. You know, this is a lefty that likes to roll back. You know, I'm going to be on that guy. Or whether it's, you know, so anyways, I don't know. I just think that the yeah. pretty cool stuff out there to be learned. Oops. No, I think you're right. And Jerry Byrne is uh, is the, is the best defensive coach in the country for me for for me and my uh, my opinion. Um, but it's really this this sort of in line with what you're seeing from the new military strategy of decentralizing command away from headquarters and giving more decision making and autonomy in the trenches. Because even though we have advanced communications in the military and we have communications we can do from the sidelines. It's tough to puppeteer a lacrosse game and give the men um, the arsenal and the opportunity and the reps so they can make their own decisions on the field. And Jerry does a fantastic job with that. Well, because the thing is, is that from an offensive coaching perspective, you never really know whether they're going to slide or not because it's not coming from the other sideline. It's coming from a decision-making right. process of – you know, that's going to change, that's going to adjust on their own. And that's what's so cool about it, I think. No, you're, you're right about that. You know, as, as opposed to looking at the defensive coach and like, oh, he just signaled this. They're going to be sliding adjacent. So let's react. Um, yeah. I, I, I've had that similar line of thought too. And, 
you know, if, if you just allow your offensive players to be free to play, uh, it's tough as a defensive coach. <laughs> I can't tell you what they're going to do. You know, uh, I'm just, I've just got a better seat than most of the other people in the stadium right now. I, I hope I've coached you well Monday through Friday because I, I can't help you on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> um, last couple topics. One, I want to talk a little bit about video. I've been spending like, you know, uh, so much time trying to figure out how to use video from an educational perspective. So like with my coach training program, um, with evaluating players, the video assessments um, and stuff like that. But I'm curious, like my opinion is, and, and film is truth. That's my like new tagline. <laughs> but I mean, um, in my opinion, it's like, it's not even possible to play to your potential without without getting somebody to help you with, or you help yourself with video analysis. I mean, one way or another, if you're not using video, there's just no way that you even know what's happening around you. And I'm curious to get your opinion, big picture on the value and importance of video, and then specifically how you're using it within your own players. Yeah, let me step off the lacrosse path. Yesterday, uh, Tara, our daughter Charlotte and I are at the playground uh, having fun, but you know, mom and dad, we like to work out. So we're doing some pull-ups and we're doing some things while we're at the playground and the monkey bars. And, and Tara asked me about burpees because you know, I've been doing a bunch of burpees with these events I've been doing. And um, so she starts doing some burpees and she means like, Hey, can you videotape me doing the burpees? I want to see what my form looks like. You know? So she was a former coach. She coached field hockey at Brown university. And so bam, I mean, that's just so, such a great example of us coaches, you know, we want to analyze it, but we'll see. So being able to see yourself is so advantageous um, with, with your technique, with your dodging, but there's no question. All of us can use more film and, um, and uh, plus just watching your analysis of Michael Krause, for example, like you picked up on something I, I didn't know. And, and, and I watched Michael Krause just about every day in practice, you know, and, and some of the techniques he's using and why he's using those techniques. So not only can, the film, you know, allow us to uh, improve, but we can show it to other people and get other people's opinions and, and watch other people's assessment of, of uh, film. I would like to see the next step of film, you know, because for some people, they can make that translation between the hot air balloon look or, you know, uh, the angled from the top of the stadium viewpoint. But could you sort of have that 3D reality? It's, it's happening in college football. You know, they're, they're creating these cameras and putting them on the helmets for the quarterbacks because it really gives them that assessment of what it looks like from their level, um, what they're really seeing as opposed to from what the fan is seeing and the coach is seeing up in the box. Can we, can we get to that level? Um, you know, whether it's the helmet cam or whatever, you know, so now we got Michael Cross. What does he see when he looks at that opposing defender who isn't a fist hold or isn't a V hold and just seeing through the defense, that would be the next level stuff so that the player can really recreate what they'll actually be seeing out there. Do you guys do a lot of individual film work with your, with your players on both sides of the ball? We do. We're fortunate. Uh, the biggest difference of coming from Brown to Virginia was all of a sudden we had a director of operations. <laughs> Rocco. Rocco. Rocco Romero. That took so much off the plate of Sean Kerwin and Kip Turner that they can really now focus on just coaching. And so uh, right outside my door is, is, is where Kip and Sean are, and guys are in there all the time. We had quite a few guys came through at Brown, but it is continuous flow of men here. And, uh, and so they're always watching film. And, and it's, I think Sean really, really loves it, as does Kip, where they can 
watch practice, break down practice, and have clips ready. So when Laviano, Kraus, and Demario showed up for film, it's already prepared. And uh, so that has really been different, as opposed to maybe at Brown, where some defensemen came in and be like, okay, let's fast forward, rewind. Yeah, <laughs> or the old school, like you get like 45 guys in a room and you start watching film and you're basically just like, you know, picking on one person that, you know, screwed right. up and everybody else is just like falling asleep and you right. really, literally just don't get that much done. <laughs> right. So we still do the team stuff, but you know, big Mondays, we practice lift and then film. We'll, uh, we have, we'll call blue clips. Blue clips are the hustle plays or, sort of sort of programmatic cultural things that are important to us, uh, whether it's, you know, picking up the ball and moving it right away or just, just general things that are not specific to the team offense or specific to the team defense. And so we'll do blue clips for 10 minutes, goals against the goals we gave up on Saturday, the goals for that we uh, scored. Um, and so that is the group film that we'll do together. And it's, I like doing that together because it's sort of a way of putting yeah. away the game on Saturday. And then on Tuesdays, as I referred to earlier, now we're really going to break them up into their different parts. But then the individuals do come in and meet with Sean and Kip. And so yeah. there's a lot of film. Now, one thing, we're big fans of coming in and watch film. That's not always afforded at certain schools. Uh, the luxury of that, or students being able to have time. Um, but because there are some great uh, film editing programs where you can just put it online and, and the, the players can access it. And that's great. But we really like it when the players come in. Because yeah. now you can talk them through it. It's a relationship building thing too. It is relationship building as well. All right, last topic. You know, the new recruiting rules have been uh, awesome. Yes. Uh, for, for a lot of people. Uh, liberating. What's that? <laughs> liberating. 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 Um, what I want to hear from you is two things. One is just, um, you know, there's so many parents that are probably going to be listening to this podcast. And they're, they're freaking out about recruiting and all these things. Um, you know, so many people get stressed about it and it's understandable because, you know, you have a, you have a child now, um, you're going to be crazy about her and you already are, I'm sure. But as things get more complicated, it's hard not to be, um, you know, you, you may not be as crazy of a parent as some of the people you see on the sideline, you know, fighting, uh, <laughs> you know, um, at a, at a youth lacrosse game. But, but at the end of the day though, what's your advice First of all, your overall opinion on, on, the, on the state of recruiting and, and why this is great. And then, you know, the overall advice to, to families and parents of kids that are really serious about lacrosse and want to be good. Sure. Yeah. So selfishly, let me talk first. To, yeah. to only be juggling two recruiting classes is liberating. Like right now, as we run around in June of 2018 and looking at recruits, and focusing on the 2020 class, the rising juniors, who we'll be talking to September 1, not, you know, within three minutes of the event ends, and I need to get the club coach to connect the two of us together, you know, and got to get them on campus in a week from now. Instead, now the summers are, you know, maybe we have two or three spots left in this rising senior class, 2019, you know, so there, there's, a, there's, a, a, there's going to be some people visiting in the summer, but for the most part, it's not crazy trying to evaluate race back to campus make decisions on a 15 year old so that's for me is wonderful liberty but let's really focus on the families and now the fact that you can go into your freshman year the summer of going into your freshman year and not worry about it, the recruiting camps because guess what we're not on the sidelines anymore we used to be but we're not there and now even going into your rising sophomore year i've been to a couple fields where there's rising sophomores but typically and that's the class of 2021 right now but that's typically because 
I've got some downtime and the 2020 game is in, a, is in a half hour and there's nothing going on right now. And, and there's an all-star game. I'm like, all right, I'll watch the all-stars through 2021 like I did on Long Island Friday. But I, I had nowhere else to go for 45 minutes. I didn't just especially appear. So it just takes that pressure off the families and the boys and just playing the game and not worrying about being a finished product as a sophomore. You know, now, oh gosh, my left hand isn't any good. I better not go out in this game and try to do something left-handed because it'll be exposed that I don't have it. So I better do everything right-handed. Instead, no, no, experiment. Still, this is, you know, everything. We're all growing. You know, even when we're out of college, we're still growing and experimenting. Just go out there and play and compete and try it. Um, as opposed to, oh, this coach is going to make a decision on me today. I better not make any mistakes. So I, I just think that's liberating for the families and obviously taking all that pressure off. Um, now, you going into your junior year, yeah, the pressure is going to start getting there. you got to get to the right events. you got to make sure you're going to be seen. And your club coach is probably sending out some notes on your behalf. Hey, I know you can't talk to us, but September 1, you know, want to know, you know just that, then, then it's just probably a bit of more appropriate timing. Um, so, you know, for, for the families out there, I would say, you know, if, if you've got choices of club teams, some of you don't because you're in the middle of nowhere and there's only one club team in the area. But if you have choices, I would really go to the ones that really emphasize education. And see if you can do a test drive. What do you mean education? Just the, 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 the practices, how much training, how much fundamental skill development are we talking about? And see if they'll let you do a test drive. Um, they may not. They'll say, hey, you know, can, can we come to a practice or two? You know, or, and if we have to pay, we'll, you know, just, we just want to pay the full year rate. We just want to, we'll pay by the practice. Let's see what it's like, you know, and, and see what the instruction is. Because a lot of us, a lot of people will sell one thing and they may think they're doing a great job coaching. They may think they're giving it, but you know, I know if I, if, if my daughter played for a Jamie Monroe club program, you know, um, there would be intense, intense amount of small ball play, fundamental skills development before we went to game day. And, um, and that, that's really important. That's really, really important because just, just picking up the next, uh, the next weekend tournament where we're going to go to Ruby Tuesdays for dinner and stay in a, and stay in a Hilton and have fun eating pizza or whatever. Uh, what are we doing? We're just rolling balls out. And so I think there's, um, just see, see, where, see where your, uh, where your son or daughter's, uh, best values are going to be and best, best, uh, opportunities to grow as a player are going to be. And so, uh, um, in terms what about of box lacrosse. Oh yeah, that's the, the 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 what what's better small ball than box lacrosse, right? You know, and you got this nation just north of us that keeps beating us, and uh, <laughs> yeah, we have ten times the number of players than they do. Um, and to probably spend about fifty times the amount of money. Exactly, exactly, and you know, I mentioned, you know, talk, we were talking offline earlier about the you know the national development of Belgium soccer, you know, and now they're a, a world power. You know, they did this 15 years ago. They went to small play. And, um, and so, yeah, box across is fantastic. Um, a lot of us in America play what we think is box across. It's not real box across. But if it's a smaller arena and there's more touches, then let's go with it. Let's take it. Even if smaller it's nets. Yeah, you want those smaller nets, if ideally. But if you can play real box across, you know, and there are, there are some uh, entrepreneurs trying to create that in, in the U.S. Uh, there's more ventures. Box was doing a pretty good job with it. Yeah, I think there's some really exciting things coming along. If you can get your opportunity to get into that, whew, what a step up. You know, boys and girls. You know, I've, yeah. I've, I've known some girls who've played some box across, and, and their skills are so far ahead of their peers when they, when they uh, get to the field. You should check out the video. You know, I did the, the Michael Krauss uh, analysis. Yeah. I did a bunch of them. Check out the Jeff Teat video I did. Okay. I put it in, my, I put it in the link that I sent to you. But, but check out also Selena Lasoda. 
She's All a Canadian right. that plays for Northwestern. She's huh. unbelievable, man. She would, she, you would like want her on your right side. She's <laughs> like that good. But yeah, and then it comes back to, you know, I've really been on a kick to try to resurrect the Sandlot. I grew up playing sports, basically playing pickup games, particularly soccer. I was a, I was a soccer player really more so than anything else growing up. I, I grew up in Providence. There's a huge Portuguese contingency there, population. And I played pickup soccer at Brown every day of the summer from the time I was about 12 through 18. And um, it's how I became a good athlete. It was all pickup games. And now I'm trying to, you know, resurrect that with our three by and our street box and all that kind of stuff. But I think the one thing, and I'm curious to get your opinion on this, but I think the thing that people don't realize is that you could, you can accomplish developing world-class skills in your neighborhood with, with, with kids just playing with no equipment, a tennis ball and a small net. Do you, do you believe right. that? I totally agree with that. And you don't have to leave the city limits. Sure. Maybe once a year, it's fun. You know, you, you go to a different city and you get involved with some tournament, you know, sure. they're fun. They're exciting, but you don't have to travel, you know, that, you know, for the most part, most communities, um, the, 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 there's a good enough lacrosse players right next to you, right in your neighborhood. And yeah, just creating what you're talking about. Now, it'd be wonderful if you didn't have to have parents involved um, picking up yeah. the sandlot, but maybe we just got to plant the seeds. And give I them think the uh, that we've done such a good job of eliminating the sandlot that we may have to help, you know, resurrect it as well. You know what I do is funny. I have a ninth grade daughter and I was like, you know what? She's playing field hockey last fall. I really don't want to take the time. I don't want to travel to any of these events as a ninth grader in the fall. I don't want to take the time of, because I know that the practices aren't going to generally be that great anyways. You're not getting that much, that many touches. Once a week for an hour and 15 minutes, we played some kind of a three-on-three -three game in front of the house. Okay. And what I did was I, I, I got a couple of high school boys that were older that, I, that had played for me, and I said, hey, guys, listen, I want you to do private lessons for my daughter, but you're actually not even going to teach. All you're going to do is play. I'm going to give you 20 bucks each. <laughs> you're such a loser for hiring people to come play three by with you you know like you have to pay your people to be friends i was like no no we're, we're creating like this environment so it was me these two boys my daughter and a couple of her friends it was three boys and three girls sometimes we'd have a real box goalie in there i might slide up 20 bucks to jump in and put the equipment on sometimes yeah. it was just sort of a three but we played all these different games and i'm telling you it wasn't just my daughter i got better like, I learned how to do some things that I didn't know how to do. These okay. boys got so much better. They're, one's going to Cornell. One's going to Utah. They're Division One caliber players that, yeah. like, will tell you, Coach, I got so much better at finishing. Like, my hands got so much better. And this is, like, what's missing, right. in my opinion, in our country. It's not just lacrosse. Like, nobody plays pickup anymore. And you can't compete with the sandlot from, the, from a level of skill and IQ development as well as love of the game. Right. Now, you, you and I talked about it. You, you said one of the best ways to assess a recruit is if you could do it is, you know, playing a small little lacrosse game. You know, uh, if you don't have lacrosse, play some pickup basketball. You know, just get them in a two, three v three type setting, you know, and all the touches and all the decision making, all that. But no, I love what you're talking I love what you're talking about. And, uh, you know, Tara and I were out there yesterday with our three year old, and she's, Tara's got the cones and lacrosse sticks and the field hockey sticks. And uh, <laughs> I just have to hire some five-year-olds to play for <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Same uh, with a couple uh, of lollipops. But uh, hey, look, <laughs> thank you so much for uh, joining me on this podcast. Maybe I can get you back on here sometime. Let's do it. Thanks, Shane. Love, love talking lacrosse with you. Have a great summer. We'll be in touch. All right. Bye, buddy.